Modernism is a philosophical movement that affected many forms of art and other areas of life towards the end of the 19th century and right into the 20th. Modernism as philosophy began in the late 19th century, but there are different thoughts about the exact start of it. Though there is little doubt that there are two major events primary in its development, the rapid industrialization and the growth of the city and urban space, followed by the First World War and the horrors within. So what is modernism? Well, modernism was a movement that affected every single type of art and all ways of life. However, the four areas that are generally associated with it are literature, artwork, architecture and music. Modernism rejected the ideas of realism and embraced self-consciousness and irony. Rather than an artwork, modernism is best described as a philosophical movement. Modernists believed that by rejecting tradition they could discover radically new ways of making art and at the same time force the audience to take the trouble to question their own preconceptions. It stressed freedom of expression, experimentation, radicalism and primitivism. Its disregard for conventional expectations often meant startling and alienating audiences with bizarre and unpredictable effects, e.g. surrealism in art, atonality in music and stream of consciousness in literature. The first wave of modernism as an artistic umbrella movement broke in the first decade or two of the 20th century, with groundbreaking works by people like Arthur Schoenberg and Igor Stravinsky in music, Gustav Klimt, Pablo Picasso, Henry Matisse, Marcel Duchamp, Vasily Kandinsky and Piet Mondrian in art, Le Corbusier, Walter Gropus and Frank Lloyd Wright in architecture, and James Joyce, T.S. Eliot, and Virginia Woolf in literature. The movement reached its apogee as an umbrella philosophy in the 1920s, with the Bauhaus, Surrealism, Cubism, Fauvism, Futurism, and, perhaps the most nihilistic of all, Dada. Even after the Second World War, when the area of focus moved from Europe to the United States, the developments continued in areas such as abstract expressionism led by Jackson Pollock and other areas such as geometric abstraction, minimalism, process art, pop art and pop music. So to begin with its history, we must understand where modernism came out of. The Romantic movement was a movement which idealised the pre-French Revolution, pre-Enlightenment pre-industrial revolutionary worlds. It abhorred the industrial revolution with its dark satanic mills that it brought along with it. Romanticism was inherently conservative in nature. With great changes in society, there will always be a generation after who will rebel and look for something new. To this new generation, the Romantic movement was a backwards idea that didn't represent their view of the world. So when this happens, people create something new. For all the Romantics' efforts, progress could not be stopped. During the 19th century, there were precursors to modernist architecture, 
where people wanted to look at things new and fresh. First, it was the mills of the early 19th century England, the Crystal Palace of the 1851 Great Exhibition, the Great London Stations of Paddington and King's Cross, and then the Eiffel Tower. These were the future, and it was clear that the romantic ideals of medieval idealism was not going to last. And so, where does one date the start of the modernist movement? As with who you listen to, you will get very different answers. Most scholars tend to believe in different beginnings, and, like with the first rock and roll song, the very first piece of modernism is debated. To me, it can be said that modernism as a philosophy broke out almost exactly at the start of the 20th century, but with precursors beginning in France in around the 1870s with the takeoff of modernist art made famous by Claude Monet. Other developments that helped set the ground of modernism include the works of Friedrich Nietzsche with his will to power. A philosophy was now based around an instinct for growth and durability. Literature by Dostoevsky and Walt Whitman were early forebears of modernism in literature. But like every major movement there is a hit, the landmark feature that enables something new to put itself on the map. For rock and roll, this was rock around the clock. For the blockbuster film, this was Jaws. For grunge, it was Smells Like Teen Spirit. And for modernist music, this was the second string quartet by Arnold Schoenberg. For modernist expressionist paintings, it was Vasily Kandinsky. And for cubism, it was Henry Matisse and Pablo Picasso. By 1910, there were signs that modernism was starting to take a hold of popular consciousness. Not just in the minds of a few artists, there began to be numerous exhibitions of works in Paris. Meanwhile, German modernism became rooted in the idea of theatre. Like the rest of the modernist movement, German modernism was dealing with the effects of industrialization and the rise of the city, with Oskar Kokoschar's Murderer, the Hope of Women, opening on the 4th of July 1909 in Vienna, marking the first real German effort at modernism. Abstract art, perhaps one of the most famous facets of the modernist art movement, was rooted in several ideals. Following the Impressionists, they believed that colour, not shape, was the crucial point in art. Renaissance art, which was the touchstone for all Western art, was focused on scientific logic, perspective, and an attempt to faithfully reproduce nature. If you study the work of Leonardo, there is an obsession there with trying to reproduce an anatomically correct painting. Perhaps during the start of the 20th century, people became more scientifically aware about the human body, and by the 20th century, it was no longer edgy or interesting to draw people. Perhaps because science was now acknowledged on a level such as art, that you were not liable to be thrown under house arrest for attempting to do science. Or perhaps it was the growth of photography that made the idea of faithfully reproducing the human body redundant. We don't know. Perhaps it was a little bit of everything. The architecture of modernism was dawning predominantly in the United States. Perhaps due to the availability of space to build new buildings, the rapid growth of American cities, and America's newfound wealth looking for an architectural expression. 
with Europe's city centres mostly full of medieval and Victorian buildings, and arcane planning regulations putting a halt at major reworking of city centres, architecture in America became mostly focused on modernism. The dawning of the industrial era had seen architects wishing to do away with old types of buildings. America's architecture had mostly been replicas of European antiquity or medieval buildings. And so there was a desire for a new style of American architecture and to build buildings in the style of the machine age. These new designs for buildings would place emphasis on materials like steel and iron placed in strong geometric shapes. The results were the first skyscrapers. The Wainwright Building in St. Louis, Missouri and the Fuller Building in New York still stands as monuments to modernism. Literature wasn't to be left behind either. With the traditional mode of the novel being to tell a story in a formulaic first or third person way, the modernists ripped up the rulebook and began experimenting with new ways of telling stories. Forms and methods weren't now focused on realism like the Victorian novels of Dickens or Eliot, but this time with expression and technique. This stream of consciousness novel was born at this time. Marcel Proust's magnum opus In Search of Lost Time and James Joyce's Ulysses being the two novels that would most famously represent modernism in literary form. It was, however, the First World War that was, if anything, to legitimise the modernist movement. With old notions and old assumptions of how war would never happen again, with the costs being so high, and the mechanistic industrial nature of the slaughter, modernists began sweeping away old thoughts and old ideas, and focusing on surrealism and abstraction. It was seen as the perfect art form to deal with people's reactions to the First World War. The 1920s, especially in the United States, is now seen as the start of the consumer mass market. Items such as washing machines, vacuum cleaners, the automobiles, Hollywood films, and the beginnings of the popular music industry all began at this time. Art was no different. Mass market art products for the masses were now available to buy. Unlike the Model T or Charlie Chaplin films, there was little quality in these artworks. The word kitsch began in the art markets of Munich in the 1860s and 1870s, describing cheap, popular and marketable pictures and sketches. Modernism found itself diametrically opposed to these kitsch items, which conservative scholar Roger Scruton described as, quote, fake art expressing fake emotions, whose purpose is to deceive the consumer into thinking he feels something deep and serious. Close quotes. Modernists thought of themselves as the antithesis of consumerism, even though much of their work was highly consumer-oriented, and despite at times trying to be almost anti-popular, its radical nature meant that many were interested. I do find this contradiction somewhat ironic, as one of the largest legacies of modernist art is for its use in corporate logos and commercialism. The use of striking images and colour is something we now see in almost every corporate logo. 
when was the last time you saw a nice watercolour as a company logo? By the late 1920s and early 1930s, modernism was no longer seen as radical or dangerous, though there still existed ideas within modernism that would scare the establishment. Marxism, anti-capitalism, anarchism and pacifism were all prevalent within this movement. But of course, by the 1930s, modernism was about to reach its peak. The period of the late 1920s and early 1930s see many of the names we most associate with the modernist movement coming to the fore. T.S. Eliot, Igor Stravinsky, W.H. Auden, Salvador Dali, Virginia Woolf, and people like James Joyce began to receive popular and critical acclaim. With the Great Depression and the rise of fascism, totalitarianism and war, it would see modernism reach its high point and then snuffed out. In America, the Great Depression greatly impacted the modernist movement, with Grant Wood's painting of American Gothic amongst the most famous American paintings of all time. The people in the paintings were modelled by Wood's sister and their dentist, Dr. Byron McKeeby. The woman is dressed in an apron, evoking 19th century Americana, whilst the man is holding a pitchfork. Almost instantly iconic, the painting was parodied within months of first being published in Chicago's Evening Post. I can't even imagine how, if it was released today, the memes that would have resulted from this painting. The evocation of American rural life, and even the relative criticism of the old-fashioned Americana rural life, is one that could not and would not have existed in pre-modernist times. Nighthawks, 1942, by Edward Hopper, is perhaps the other iconic American painting of the time. It simply shows people sitting in a downtown diner late at night. Hopper began painting it immediately after the attack on Pearl Harbor, after the feeling the event created a sense of gloominess over the country, something the painting tried to evoke. The painting shows an urban setting and an empty street outside the diner. Inside the diner, it shows three patrons not looking or talking to the others, but instead lost in their own thoughts. Nighthawk perfectly shows what modernism is. Compare it to a romantic movement painting and you'll see the difference far better than I can describe it. The painting shows an urban setting reflective of modern life and it shows and hints at using a minimalist style so loved by the modernists. There are only four people in the painting but those four represented and reflected millions. The use of blue colour adds further to the melancholic feeling of the painting. This is a world apart from any type of pre-1900 art. Perhaps the piece of art that best describes the modernist movement is a piece of art we've already mentioned in another episode. Modernism has no political allegiance. Salvador Dali was noted for at least being sympathetic to the hard right, but I think it's fair to say that most modernists fall to the left. None better represent this than Pablo Picasso. When we discussed the tank, we mentioned this famous painting. On the 26th of April 1937, during the Spanish Civil War, the Basque town of Guernica was bombed by Nazi Germany's Luftwaffe. 
The Germans were supporting the efforts of fascist Francisco Franco and utterly obliterated the town into rubble. Picasso painted his mural side Guernica to commemorate the horrors of the bombing and the painting almost instantly became world famous, helping bring to the world the horrors of the Spanish Civil War and of the blitzkrieg tactics that would later shock the entire world. With the dawn of the Second World War in Europe, modernism went into retreat. As we've seen with Nighthawks, modernism was still around in the United States, but in Europe it died a quick death. The Nazi regime called it degenerate art, and it was banned on the grounds that it was un-German or Jewish Bolshevist in nature. But like a veil lifting, the end of the Second World War brought modernism a new life, a new generation to the movement. Now generally called late modernism, and just as early modernism was shaped by urbanism and the Industrial Revolution, and mid-period modernism shaped by the First World War, late modernism was shaped by the Second World War, the dawning of the Atomic Age, and the horrors of the Holocaust. In theatre, the post-Second World War period saw the theatre of the absurd, which was predominantly work focused on the idea of existentialism, and the idea that human existence has no meaning or purpose. Logical construction and argument gives way to irrationality and illogical speech, and to its ultimate conclusion, silence. The most famous of these playwrights were people like Samuel Beckett, Harold Pinter, and Tom Stoppard. The late 1940s saw the work of Jackson Pollock come to prominence. His use of colour further pushed the boundaries of art, whilst moving away from using the standard easel and placing a canvas on the floor and painting all four sides equally rather than a portrait or a landscape mode. This is not even to mention the way Pollock dripped his paint onto the canvas, which pushed abstract art of the modernists even further away from quote-unquote normality. Perhaps the final movement of modernism was to happen in the 1960s. The pop art movement was perhaps the logical conclusion of modernism. Modernism was always a part of the high art movement, not one of consumer culture and mass consumption. But pop art began to use the traditions of the modernist movement and turn them inside out. Modernist art was the rejection of mass culture. It is the art of the abstraction and away from the kitsch art that was popular during its lifetime but it was always about pushing boundaries and making things new. Pop art was both the evocation of modernism, such as using irony and parody to its advantage, but using art of popular and mass culture and mundane cultural items to achieve this effect. But mostly, pop art was using the ideas of breaking taboos, which were normally the taboos of the cultural conservatives and trying to shock them. Pop art was the movement of breaking the taboos of even the modernists. Pop art was using normal images of American popular culture, but treating them impersonally, and if not with disdain, then with a high degree of irony, pointing out the banality of the mainstream, whilst also using the mainstream to achieve this effect. For some, modernism carries on, and there has been a lot of interest and renewed discussion on post-modernism, which as the name suggests, comes after the modernist movement burnt itself out at the end of its natural lifespan. 
Postmodernism is a far more centralised movement than modernism. It is also a more socio-political one. Whilst modernism disliked the certainty of the Enlightenment thinking and preferred life to be more abstract, the postmodernists outright rejected many of the Enlightenment's core teachings, such as objective reality, truth, human nature, reason and social progress. Modernism was a philosophy mostly affecting art, whilst postmodernism is a socio-political theory. Postmodernism has affected music, arts and literature, but has also branched out into economics, cultural studies and many of the social sciences. Postmodernism is not a great invention, and if I were to do a list of the 100 worst inventions of all time, postmodernism would be up there. Philosopher Daniel Dennett once said, quote, Postmodernism, the school of quote-unquote thought, that proclaimed there are no truths, only interpretations, has largely played itself out in absurdity. It has left behind a generation of academics in the humanities, disabled by their distrust of the very idea of truth and their disrespect for evidence, settling for conversations in which nobody is wrong and nothing can be confirmed, only asserted with whatever style you can muster. Modernism's legacy on the world is both straightforward and complicated. Poet Ezra Pound's claim in 1934 to quote-unquote make it new is often seen as the calling card for the modernist movement. We see this in everyday life. Art and literature and architecture have also come to the make it new maxim. Before modernism, there was little concept in culture to be new. Rather, it was just an attempt to try and be better. The idea of being new and different are at the core concepts of this podcast. It is an inventions podcast, after all. Modernism as a concept has touched all forms of life, even in something as boring as business philosophy. The idea of disruptive innovation is expressly modernist in its aim to try and consciously make something new rather than just making it better and going with the flow. Modernists aim to make that change themselves. Modernism was a reflection of its time. The late 1800s and early 1900s were a massive change in terms of technological innovation. Inventors and innovators, such as Edison and Tesla, were already attempting to consciously invent and make new. But in art and culture, this was a new philosophy. Change was often slow. Culture moves at snail's pace. The Renaissance took decades of slow and natural progress to move from the art of the Middle Ages to Renaissance art. From Baroque to Neoclassical, then to Romantic, these were not conscious inventions, but simply new generations in the shifting of natural time. Modernism was the conscious creation of the new. People should not be merely satisfied by the status quo. Most things can be made better, but whether things should be made new is a different question, and it's still a philosophical question many wrestle with. But modernism shows the power of what new can do. To judge its legacy, we can see what great art modernists have created. Kandinsky, Mondrian, Picasso, Frank Lloyd Wright, to Samuel Beckett and James Joyce. 
Modernism has led to many of the greatest cultural works of the 20th century. But not only this, it has expounded our expectation that culture should develop, should move and change. Modernist art seemed to develop new styles almost every new year. It took time for people to get modernist art, but eventually people began to embrace the change and appreciate the new styles that were to hit them every few years. Today, when a new art form or product comes out, we do embrace it much more than an early 19th century person would. We expect development. A rock band that never moves on is criticised for not developing. The Beatles were constantly praised for their musical development, for their ability to shift and make radical changes. A film director who releases the same film time and time again is not a great draw. A director who pushes boundaries is seen as a pioneer, and is seen as somebody who made it new. The modernist movement is not perfect. There are many drawbacks of what it has done to 20th century culture, but there are also some benefits. But like all great inventions, it explains how we got to where we are today. And so modernism is my 86th greatest invention of all time.